This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right. So, um, my name is Peter, and I'm a history teacher. My name is Tom. I'm also a history teacher. So, uh, Tom and I have met, uh, we met at, at college, actually, about 15, well, more than 15 years ago. I've been teaching for 15 years. So, yeah. we met in college about 20 years ago. Um, we met in a history class um, where we worked on a project together on Pearl Harbor, and we've been friends ever since, and we just kind of came up. We decided to make a podcast. Pretty much, pretty much, yep. Pretty much, right? So, a few things we need to get out of the way first. Uh, first is that we are not professional podcasters, although I really don't know if anyone really was a professional podcaster at first. They kind of just became professional podcasters. Um, so we're not professional podcasters. So everyone just bear with us. Uh, another thing I kind of want to get out of the way is that we want to make this family friendly. Family friendly, exactly. So we're not going to have cursing, hopefully, and things like that. We're also going to try to stay away from being overly political. All right, you're not really going to know our total opinions. We're kind of just going down the middle here because this is for students and as well as families, right, Pete? Indeed. Um, and I guess that's the whole premise is that, you know, now with coronavirus going on and, you know, some people not being in school and not going back to school, um, I guess we kind of miss having a banter, you know, talking back and forth about history. So this was just another outlet where we could do that. So anything else you want to get? Out of the way, I think that's it, right? I, yeah, I think that covers everything for now. We can always figure it out right. as time goes on. Yeah. Uh, also, we're not really planning these in any particular order. Um, kind of, you know, Tom and I usually talk about history, comic books. We talk about uh, movies. We talk about everything. Um, kind of like what we talk about with our students in our class as well. But um, there is no chronological order to any of these topics. It's kind of just whatever comes up that we want to talk about and that's kind of how we're going to be doing these so tom you want to kind of introduce what we're doing today so today we um since it's the first podcast figure we'd go with a person who was uh often called first in war first in peace and first in the hearts of his countrymen and that would be none other than george washington indeed so george washington uh what we kind of want to do today is we want to talk about george washington in a sense of um, not like the textbook version of George Washington, but like who really was George Washington? Um, interestingly enough, I was just reading recently about his death. It's kind of a weird way to start it, but start with um, the end. There you go, Pete. Start with the, start end. With the end, right? Um, interesting enough. I mean, he died, you know, when he was in his sixties, he was not at old, no, not old at all. He was 67, I believe, right? When he died. Yep. Yeah. So not old by, you know, any means in today's standards. And what's interesting is he basically got an infection of a throat. Um, if there was antibiotics, he would, he would have, have been fine. You know, yeah, but then yeah. He, he went outside. He he went outside like surveying what trees he wanted to get cut down or whatever. Yeah, and then he got sick and he didn't change. Well, he got wet because he was like sleeting and he didn't change his clothes because he had people coming over. He wanted them to wait. That's something you have to understand. Washington was so popular even after his presidency. People were constantly coming to Mount Vernon just to like pay their respects to like see him. So he was there were always people waiting for him. So he just rushed and didn't get changed and stayed in his wet clothes, which definitely made the situation a lot worse. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, he contracted, he contracted a fever and after his fever, basically, um, you know, infection of a throat. So he was bedridden and then uh, they had a great idea on how to make him better. Uh, the best idea ever. Yeah, the best idea ever. <laughs> so they basically bled him. Um, 
they over five pints of blood. I yeah, out of like the eight or whatever he had, yeah. or nine, whatever All we have. Yeah. So, just made him weaker and weaker. Yep. And then um, at one point, they thought they were going to relieve some pressure on his throat because of the throat infection. So they actually like cut his throat a little bit, which did not help the situation. Yeah, they were going to do that. What's that called when they cut the throat? Um, Tariq? Tariq? Uh, yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, yeah. yeah, they were going to do that, but I, I read about that too. And the doctor like wasn't sure how to do it. None of them knew how to do it. So they're just like, oh, let's stop. So they stopped like halfway through. <laughs> so like imagine that like they're doing surgery like, we know has anyone done this before no maybe we shouldn't do it all right let's cut him and make him bleed some more then instead and that was basically what they were doing to this guy for like the last uh you know couple of days there as he was pretty much like oh which is, which is insane which is insane i mean if you if you look at some of these other presidents too it, it's insane well, the weird thing about washington too if you look at his like just his um his life, he had like a lot of diseases over his par- parts of his life. And this is what actually killed him was basically like a cold that like, kept on getting worse. The guy had smallpox, right? When he was younger, yep. he had dysentery several times. Um, he had like um, typhoid fever, like pretty much all those like horrible things from that time he had at some point or another. And then finally he gets done in by pretty much like a cold that just got worse and worse and worse. So it was weird. He, he, he said he was hard to kill. Like he had two, um, during the wars study for him, he had two, Horses shot out from under him. He had his like bullets went through his coats all the time, and he always survived. And finally, he gets killed basically from a medical malpractice from a from a throat infection, which is insane. There's a, actually an interesting story. I'm sure you read about that too. That and just so just for future reference, uh, so Tom and I don't actually research this together. We kind of research our things separately, and then well, we, we just talk about what we what we kind of know, just as being yeah. Teachers for the past kind of, 15, 16 years. Indeed. So we kind of get here together and just, just talk. You know, we never really discussed this beforehand. But what's interesting is Washington was afraid um, that if he maybe wouldn't die for some reason, he didn't want to be buried alive. Yeah, so, that was a big fear back then, right? Yeah, that was his thing. So he made sure that he told him that before you bury me, yeah. like kind of leave me three to days. the side. Yeah. Three days yeah, before man. you bury me. Make sure I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tom, have you ever been to Mount Vernon? No, I've never been to Mount Vernon. I think we yeah, might have. Sorry. No, no, I know, I know, I've never been there. I think if you ever drove past it for anything, but no, yes, I've been to Mount Vernon uh, a few times, and it's really nice to kind of visit. There's so many people that visit his grave. But interesting story about his grave. Once they actually buried him in there, um, it was not you know a nice concrete made grave, and it was right by no. Potomac River, and it would flood all the time. And actually, for like the first thirty years. Um, literally that entire, um, you know, burial place would flood. They said that there was coffins just kind of swimming in water and bones everywhere. And luckily Washington was fine. Uh, his body was fine because they kind of built like a pedestal for him, yeah. but all of his other family members would literally like washed away. washed away around it. I read about it. There was also um, a conspiracy to try to steal his skull. You see but that one? Yeah, they did. Yep. They tried to steal, but they, they stopped the guy. That's like, right, we have to do something. Make sure that people don't try to like grave rob this guy something happened with well i'm sure we can talk about later with lincoln now, his body oh, yeah. was stolen too for a while yeah yeah um people his like body president's doesn't... bones people like president's bones i don't know it's, what it is it's interesting i mean it was really interesting with washington too like they tried to steal his skull because it was actually the gardener um that was in charge yeah, of disgruntled right he was mad about yeah things. he was mad because he was being fired because clearly he didn't do a good job since you know like the body was swimming all the time every time it rained um so that was pretty much it for Washington. And then after that is when they kind of solidified it and, and put in concrete and it looks as pretty as it does today. 
but Washington, um, just kind of a few things about Washington. Uh, you know, we guess we'll talk a little bit about what he did as president, what he's kind of known for, but then we'll get into the some of the misconceptions about Washington. Namely, you know, a lot of people believe that, um, you know, Washington wanted to only run for president for two terms. And then he said, you know, that's that's undemocratic. I want to step down. But really, I mean, the story is a little more complicated than that. Yeah, like, like anything else. It's, it's a lot more than just what the history books are, just what you're going to see um, Googling him and things of that. There's just a lot more information out there. And um, he's, he's, he's a, it's a very interesting case. He's really seen like the politics of the time, him, because like Peter said, you were saying there, Pete, like he also didn't even want to be president at all. Like that was nope. something like they knew that he wasn't going to turn it down because he felt like it was like his duty. That was a big thing with Washington, like his duty, his honor. That was a big thing with him. But like he had no interest whatsoever. He, he was very happy in his retirement after the uh, Revolutionary War. Even though he, well, he was, was still rich. Work. I mean, this guy was, you know. Well, was he not? Was, I was seeing. Uh, towards was, the end. Yeah, towards yeah. the end, he wasn't. Yeah, towards the end. Actually, when he came back from the presidency, his his estate was basically even. Yeah, because he never he, he never got paid during the yeah. during the um, Revolutionary War, and they were supposed to pay him back, and they did a little bit, whatever. Yeah. And pretty much Mount Vernon like never really turned the profit until he started selling whiskey. Yep, towards I the end. That, yeah. That's when he started yeah, yeah. making. That's when he started making money. He still had money. He, this guy was not going to be on the streets by any stretch of the imagination. No, the amount of money he owned. He said he didn't Actually, have a lot of like liquid assets. He didn't. He had. He didn't have a lot of liquid assets. He had a lot of like just land. You know, it's interesting. Forbes did a um, an article years back. Uh, the wealthiest presidents of all time accounted for inflation, and George Washington is number one still. Yeah, uh, the wealthiest president. What's interesting is that. On that uh, in that article, um, John Kennedy has like an asterisk next to his name because some of the money was illegit, <laughs> like not legitimate. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Kind of interesting, but so when Washington became president, you know, kind of like Tom was saying, you know, he didn't really want to be president, and they really actually wanted um, Ben Franklin um, initially. It was either him or Ben Franklin, and Ben Franklin was super old and he had arthritis and everything else and too much partying, and, and uh, he kind of didn't want to do it, and that's when. You know, obviously the next choice was Washington. So he got 69 out of 69 electoral college votes. Um, you know, the only president ever to get that. Yeah, twice. He did it twice, obviously. Yeah. They also knew that. If, Go ahead. What's up? Go ahead. No, no. I was saying, what's interesting is James Monroe would have gotten all the electoral votes as well. He was going to, James Monroe was going to get 232 um, when he ran in 1820. But out of respect for Washington, there was one holdout from New Hampshire. The elector was like, all right, I'm going to hold off so that way we, you know, there's only one. Well, that's what, and that's something to keep in mind. Washington garners, you know, so much of this like respect in, in the country, like, even at that time. That's why they wanted him really, because they knew if he was such a hero, he was such a, a larger in life character, even by this time that people were just going to like respect him and also like listen to him just because he was George Washington. They, they mentioned that a lot in all the readings I did. And I've even watching some of those movies that they show him, like this, his presence, he was tall for the time. He was over six feet tall. He was like 220 pounds. They always talked about his strength. He was like a really strong guy, like, you know, outdoorsman type of individual. And when he came into a room, he did command a type of presence. His sounds eyes like were very... Movie. He sounds yeah, it sounds like like a type of wrestler, right? Comes in and like, he he actually always had a full head of hair, which is very unique for the time. Right? He powdered it because he um he had kind of a reddish brown hair, so he was kind of like a ginger almost. So, <laughs> but um yeah, but he powdered his hair. Okay, he had like the, those very blue eyes, and he just commanded a presence, and that respect carried away past his death, like you were saying that you know that, well we can't have anyone have the same 
amount of, you know, more same electoral votes as Washington. That's why I believe as a general, as a commander in chief, no one can outrank him. I know there's something to do with that. We can talk yeah. about a little bit later. Yeah. But it was such a big deal when Roosevelt, when FDR ran for a third term while he's breaking the precedent sent by Washington. Yeah. It, that all goes back to just that respect that people have for him really even to this day. So, you know, what's interesting, let's, you know, let's talk, since we kind of, you mentioned FDR, um, you know, FDR obviously ran and won four different terms. He never served a fourth term because he died, uh, which could be a podcast in itself. Um, but, you know, why did Washington step down after two terms? I mean, you know, this is the guy that's revered by everyone. What started to happen towards the end? Well, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Well, he wanted to step down. If you read any biographies on him, he wanted to step down after the first term. He had yeah. no interest of going back. The only reason he stays is because of all the political infighting, particularly Jefferson and Hamilton. He just mm-hmm. he, he just stayed to kind of keep things together because he didn't believe in political parties. He didn't believe in uh, that sort of system. Uh, but he wanted to have a he, he definitely wanted a strong central government. You know that was important to show that this you know experiment called the United States would last. So that's really why he stuck around. Um, but yeah, the second, the second reason why he left, I'll let you go more detail about that. But, uh, yeah, basically it was a couple of reasons, right? Why it was his health. His health wasn't the best. Yeah. And also he wasn't as well liked after the whole Jay's treaty. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So kind of like you said, if one thing is, first of all, uh, you know, talk about, uh, you know, like all stars for his cabinet. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, this guy's got, you know, he's loaded. He's got Henry Knox. Uh, he's got. Um, obviously Jefferson, Secretary well, he wound of State. up hating afterwards. Hamilton, like him and Knox didn't, no Hamilton. Yeah. He always stayed friendly, but even after that whole affair, which we can do stuff on yeah. Hamilton. Uh, but what is Knox, he, he wound up having a falling out with Knox. Yep, and Jefferson quit on him. I mean, Jefferson literally yeah. quit. This, you know, yeah, uh, Secretary of State. Well, Jeff, like, yeah. Yeah, he wa- I can't. He wanted to be president. Yeah, yeah, and he, and he hated Hamilton. Yeah, and that was the thing. And the, everyone kind of felt in the inner circle that Washington was always, you know, um, back in Hamilton and. Yeah. Hamilton, would do. Yeah. yeah, Hamilton, you know, he's, he's kind of a British guy, you know, uh, more or less, and uh, very much pro-strong federal government. And some people specifically, um, or especially Thomas Jefferson, very much against that. Well, again, what we got to give, like, the people listening a little bit of, like, chronological yeah. pretense, I guess, here. Like, what's going on, basically, is the French Revolution, right? Mm-hmm. So you have that going on, and we're in the... the French Revolution, the like revolutionaries, I guess, are asking for help. They want the American, they want the Americans to get involved. Saying, "We helped you get your independence, now help ours." And Washington's like, "No, no, no, we're not getting involved in this." And Hamilton backed that, and then Jefferson wanted us to get involved in some way, basically. And uh, yeah. that spiraled this whole like, which, "Who are we going to side with in these next coming years? Are we can side with the British, or are we side with the French." And that's basically broken, and that made it obvious when the whole Jay's Treaty came out. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Jay's Treaty, just kind of a little background. Um, the British and the French are fighting, uh, you know, another again, because <laughs> they kind of like do that in history. So the British and the French are fighting and, you know, kind of as Tom was saying, there's this idea of, well, obviously the French supported us in the fight against the British. We should support the French and Washington's kind of like, yeah, there's no way we could support anyone. We're a new nation. Um, and we don't have our stuff together yet. We can't really support anybody. So he chooses to stay neutral. And um, with that in mind, what's interesting is this is kind of the beginning of what happens in the War of 1812 is that you have the British are seizing our ships. Um, so all of our ships that are going to France are being stopped by the British. And ironically, also all those ships going to Britain, trading with Britain, are being stopped by the French. But um, 
that's one issue. Uh, another issue that's kind of happening here is that after the American Revolutionary War, which you know ended in technically in 1783, we're talking like you know 1790s now, and um, the British never actually left. They still have a lot of forts yeah. located. They're still uh, there, especially on the frontier. Yep, they're just they stuff these British forts, and they're technically in the United States. So, yeah. and they're um, also encouraging. I'm sorry to cut you off. They're encouraging yeah, ahead, the native. Course. They're encouraging the Native Americans to attack the frontiersmen, the um, settlers out there. Which is just you know they're doing it on purpose. They're saying, hey, go attack those uh, American colony colonists over there, and they're giving them, they're enticing them, giving them goods to go and do these raids on these settlements. And Washington's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be gone, and now you're encouraging raids, and my people are being killed. I think they're saying there's over 1,500 people were uh, killed during that time in the span of like a year. And you know there was a lot of outcry for you know what's going on. Like, how are we letting the British still do this to us? We we beat them. They're supposed to be gone. Why are they still here? Yep. And, uh, you know, so as this is happening, essentially, uh, Washington decides that he is going, again, trying to stay neutral, you know, playing the middle ground here. Um, he sent John Jay to England to try to come up with a treaty, which ultimately was really twofold. I mean, one, he wanted um, the British to leave those forts, you know, in the American frontier because it was kind of embarrassing that we still had the enemy living amongst us. Um, the other issue was to have the British stop trading with us. Sorry, wrong. Sorry, to stop taking our ships and seizing our sailors. So Jay goes, and when Jay comes back, this infamous Jay's Treaty, he does secure um, the frontier. The British are going to leave the forts. However, um, he is unable to get a, I guess, a complete guarantee that our ships are going to be um, left alone on the seas. So no freedom of yeah. the seas. It's kind of a gentleman's agreement, but that's it. There wasn't exactly. any like, actual written saying, we'll leave them alone. Yeah. And, uh, it, but also England said that w they will remain and will become rather our, will have a most favorable, you know, trading status with England. And many people saw that as a betrayal. I mean, again, it's only been what, like 15, not even 10, 10 years or so since yeah. the war ended. Um, so, you know, a lot of people died in that war. So, like, what do you mean we're going to be favorable trade partners with, with Britain? Oh, yeah. I, I there thought were, we were still a lot of bad feelings and everything, yeah. Absolutely. And the idea was like, well, I thought we were staying neutral. What's going on with that, you know? Um, so, you know, needless to say, um, you know, when Jay came back, there was – Washington was kind of viewed as, you know, you screwed up, Washington. Like, you betrayed our nation because yeah. – you know, you kind of sided with our, our old enemy and my grandfather died or my father died or my husband died in that war. And, you know, all of a sudden you had people, um, you know, with For the signs. first time. Yeah. yeah. Criticizing him. Yeah. Criticizing him. Yeah. Yeah. Good. He, and it was, he hated the press. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing. He was kind of like, wait, wait, wait a second. Like I, I'm already secured, you know, my for posterity. Like I, you know, I'm yeah, George well, put Washington. Yourself in, yeah. Put yourself in his shoes. He's George Washington. Like he's the man. Yep. He's the first everything. Everyone loves him. And now this after Jay's treaty comes out, now they're, now they're actually starting to speak out against him a little bit. And he's like, what is going on? Really? Like, you love me one day, and then we have this little treaty, which is actually benefiting the country. It avoids war with Britain, which is always a good thing. Um, and yet he's now they're talking bad about him. And Jefferson's outright speaking negatively about him in, in the newspapers, in the press. Um, and it's just he's just like, you know what? I'm done. He's like, yep. I don't need this anymore. I'm done. And uh, he just... It was like between that and his health, this wasn't something he wanted to really deal with anymore. And he also knew that he was probably going to 
he was older and he didn't want to, he didn't want to die in office. I know that was a big thing because he was afraid that would set the precedent also that the presidency would be for life. And he yep. really wanted that not to, not to be the case. And that's interesting about, you know, what you said about presidency for life. I mean, when he became president, um, the first thing that Congress discussed under a new constitution was what they should call George yeah, Washington, call like yeah. his excellency. You know, that's kind of one of the things John Adams wanted. You know, John Adams wanted that, yeah. You should call him his excellency. And, and then it kind of came down to, you know, he said, well, like I kind of preside over, you know, the government, you could just call me Mr. President. And he kind of came up with that. Um, yeah. Again, one of these presidents, everything that he did, that's what he, he was a very humble guy for the most part for everything that I've read. Again, we don't yeah. know him personally, but yeah. everything that you've read, every time you've seen him portrayed, he's very humble, soft-spoken. Like you can never hear like the things he would say. And everybody did love him. Like his, even Jefferson, who didn't like his politics, had had respect for the man. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and from what he accomplished, he would never say anything negative about that. He just said, "Listen, his time has passed. He's making these bad decisions now." And he blamed a lot on Hamilton too. Like they just had this hatred for one another. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And um, you know, so you know, if we're trying to talk about like his legacy um as president, so he decides basically, and the way he quits is also very interesting. I mean, um, you know, he essentially writes a letter to the American people. Yeah. Right. And and he publishes this letter in the newspapers and. Uh, it's an interesting thing because it sets a precedent for United States, specifically for foreign policy for, you know, for the longest time. Really? Yeah, what, 1941? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, um, and basically, you know, Tom, you want to get into that? What, what does he technically say in his farewell address? Well, he says a lot of things, but the main thing has to do with foreign policy. And a lot of people are saying he's, it's a very anti-French, which it could be. All right. He was not very favorable. Um, to the French Washington, but it was basically saying, you know, do not get involved in European wars, that Europe is going to be fighting wars, all right, that uh, we can trade with everybody, all right, we can trade with them, trade with everyone, actually, not just people in Europe. He was very big on that. But his main thing was like, listen, do not get involved in European wars. They're they're going to fight in wars. We have to remain neutral um, because if we get involved, we're just going to get entangled. We're going to be on one side and then that side is going to change. He says it's too much of a mess there. And that was the big thing about not getting involved in World War One. Why we took so long for us to get involved there. And then a lot of people got mad whenever we did get involved. And obviously a big reason why we don't get involved in the Second World War until 1941 when the bombs fall in Pearl Harbor. And yeah. that, that policy of isolationism really lasts until those first bombs drop. I, I, after that, America changes. That's a whole other podcast or a whole other conversation. I'm not getting into that now. But yeah. Um, yeah, that lasts all the way really until the 1940s. It's crazy when you think about it. Yep, absolutely. And actually, you know, even till 1940s, everyone always kind of quoted that, you know, that was Washington. Yeah, Washington. It was always about, it was always about that. Yep. And it's that also ironic. Yeah, it's ironic because one of the other warnings that Washington had was that, you know, the United States should definitely um, try to stay away from political bickering and political parties. And yeah, ironically, the first political parties happened, you know, under his very nose. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. Obviously, you have um, you know his part of the Federalist Party, which is the only party that existed at the time. But when Jefferson quits as his um, Secretary of State, you know he forms his own political party, the Democratic Republicans, um, later known simply as Republicans. Um, so, you know, the party was already happening at that 
particular moment, you know, and it's interesting that yeah. he's trying to say, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Well, that's just going to happen though. Like in a democracy, and again, this is all new, but that's just going to happen. You're going to have these political parties. You're going to have disagreements. That's what they're talking about in the Federalist Papers, right? That they're going yeah. to have these disagreements, but it's, it's a, it's a good thing. That's what Hamilton and stuff is saying. This is how you get like thought. This is how you get change. This is how you have this, you know, constructive debate. I don't think they're, you know, would like some of the politics stuff that was happening now, but really it was happening back then too. Like the scandals and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. They all knew about those sorts of things. And yep, yep. whether they decided to tell people about it or not was dependent or not, they're going to get votes or not and get their agendas passed. So well, it's actually, really the same thing. Yeah. And what's interesting about watching too is, um, you know, when you talk about the, when this guy became president, the constitution is new. He's the very first president of the United States. You know, articles of confederation was the first government that the United States operated under directly after and during the American Revolutionary War. And that was not necessarily working out. And, you know, mainly because the states kind of acted like they were separate little countries as opposed to the United States. So when the Constitution was written, you know, George Washington steps in, um, you know, as a leader of a nation that is ruled by a document, which is unprecedented in itself. And, you know, he's not really sure exactly what he has to do. Uh, That's kind of part of his legacy when you talk about George Washington is he takes his job very seriously in that, you know, he's an executive branch, which means he's supposed to execute um, or carry out the laws passed by Congress. And, you know, he's got his big test, um, you know, shortly after becoming president, uh, namely in order to make money for a new nation to bring in revenue. And that's part of Hamilton's plan. They raise taxes on the one thing that Americans love, which is whiskey. Yep. Right. So they raise these taxes. Right. Yeah, they loved alcohol, right? So they raised um they raised taxes on whiskey and alcohol and um and, and that was Hamilton's plan, I believe, right? Wasn't Hamilton yeah, wanted to do that? Hamilton, yeah. And Jefferson was against it. This was like the beginning of them really not getting along. That in the bank they didn't Absolutely. that was where they were like yeah. And that was kind of the thing because also um Jefferson thought that you talk about distillers in you know the rural area of Pennsylvania, these are the farmers, Jefferson people, um, that they're gonna be hurt. So a lot of these these distillers um, got really upset and they started kind of, you know, what became known as the Whiskey Rebellion. And, you know, they're like, this is taxation without representation. Um, they're basically saying that, look, we substituted England for another tyranny. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, Washington's kind of being, well, not just criticized. I mean, he's like seen as they're testing. They're testing to see if this government can even relax. Exactly. Like, like, what is he going to do? Like, what are you going to do about yeah. it? And this is interesting because Washington in a very unpopular at the time, but really kind of creates what the presidency really is about today. I mean, this guy says, no, you're going to listen to the laws passed by Congress because it's not taxation without representation because Congress is made up of representatives. Therefore, yeah. right, this your representatives agree to this. So you're yeah. going to pay these taxes. And then what he does is, um, interestingly enough, again, this is the president. So he takes one part of that paragraph in the Constitution that describes his job very seriously, and that is the commander in chief. So um, he creates an army, basically, calls in a militia um, from nearby. And they all state. join just because it's Washington. Yeah. And, he, you know, That's he rides out at the front of the militia. He's like, we're going to ride, you know, into Pennsylvania and squash this rebellion. And he doesn't even ride all the way. Like, he just, he goes on for like, you know, a no. day or something. And then he goes back. Once they hear, once they hear it's him there. Because he tries to <laughs> get, like, the states to do something. The states like, we're not, we're not getting involved in this. And yeah. he, uh, he, they don't want to get involved. So he's like, fine, I'll raise it myself. And really just because... It's George Washington. People join up and they just go there. I don't think they open fire and they're like that. No, they, they no, capture actually, a bunch. Yeah, they capture they a bunch capture. of people and the rebellion just ended. 
The um, Belgians are like, you know what, never mind. <laughs> yeah. But what's interesting with that is that, you know, here you have Washington actually turns a paragraph in a new document that forms this nation and creates context to it. You know, he kind of puts it into practice. Like, this is my job as president. My job is to make sure that the laws passed by Congress are carried out. Um, you know, great legacy in that respect. And another part of his legacy is, you know, the creation of the cabinet that we mentioned before. You know, this is a guy that, you know, he's a general, but he's not a politician, you know, and what kind of makes him a good leader is the fact that he surrounded himself with really good people. That he and, realized he needed that, what like Roosevelt later called that brain trust, right? He yeah. needed those, like those ideas from other people. It wasn't just going to be him, which again is a big deal at the time. He's not just saying, well, I'm the, I'm the divine ruler, whatever I decide is going to be right. No, he knows it's going to be, there's going to be some things I'm going to need some guidance on. I'm not an expert on everything. And just that shows his humility, his humility right there. You know, I don't, I'm, I don't know everything. I need help. That's a big Absolutely. deal. Yep. Um, so one thing I think, you know, we kind of need to talk about when we talk about, you know, who was George Washington, his legacy and whatnot. I mean, um, kind of growing up and how that translates later on, uh, you know, growing up, he was a surveyor of land. He was a land surveyor. That's kind of how he made his money. We got to go even um, farther than that. I'm sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah, go, go. But, um, I remember I was reading some stuff about him and like he had like a bunch of brothers. He was like this youngest brother. Mm-hmm. And when his father died, this was something that Washington always like felt very like self-conscious about. His older brothers all went to England to study. He didn't because his father died when he was too young. So he actually never finished. He only had it was like a grade school education. Yeah. Grade school level education. But he was still he was a great surveyor, like what you were saying of land. But yeah. that was it. So I think about like this guy who didn't and he was always very like embarrassed about that. Because that was like a yeah, big thing. Actually, like, he used to have books. a lot of they said he had a lot of books in French in his library at yeah. Mount Vernon. Just so when people stopped by, they would see that he had all these books in French, but he yeah. never actually knew how to read them. A lot of him is about the image. Like I said, he had this presence and he wanted to really project that presence. And yeah, I don't think he even he didn't read a lot of that stuff. It's just that he he had like he was a writer too, and none of his work that he wrote apparently like survived. They said it had like no humor in it. Um, it was just wasn't basically well done, but yeah. because he didn't have that like really. Um, higher education that a lot of the other big shots, even in Virginia, had at that time. You know, what's interesting is uh, when you study, you know, about Washington, um, when he was a soldier for the Redcoats during the French and Indian War, you know, which happened oh, yeah. before the American Revolutionary War, you know, they, they claim that he's the one that started, started World yeah, War. Yeah. yeah. He, he, uh, he started the French and Indian War, yeah. Yeah, because he started, the, you know, the first shots in the skirmish um, when, you know, when he found the French. But What's interesting they is they killed someone. They killed like I'm sorry. They killed like some. Yeah, they uh, killed like, like a, a French, French diplomat, a French or, noble. Yeah, um, I, exactly. I have, um, yeah, they killed him, and they're like, "Why did you kill him?" He's like, "Oh, it was a um, miscommunication with, with my interpreter." Exactly, and, it, and then it just became this whole big thing. The French are like, "No, we're not," and then it, be, it became the war. Yeah, he was blamed for it. It took him years to like regain his uh, confidence in the British army after that. Yeah, and what's interesting yeah. is because they supposedly, and I listened to one podcast once that stated that. You know, the, this French person is like laying on the ground and like pleading for his for mercy, you know, and, and Washington didn't really understand him, you know, um, which, again, yeah. goes back to this whole uneducated part you know, of Washington. I mean, the, the guy made his money because he married rich. Let's face it. Um, yeah, he did have money himself, but um, yeah, but, most I mean, of it was married rich. And then when he was the only surviving person, too, I think like his brothers died, his aunt died. That's how he got Mount Vernon. He was leasing it from her. And she yeah. passes away, so he gets it. And then Martha Washington was like filthy rich, yeah. Yeah, so he, he married Martha and he made his money. 
even though he like he was like in love with somebody else, that was like a whole thing too. He was yeah, his, his best friend's his best friend's wife. He was in love with. Yeah, he was a player. He would like you know write her like love letters, which some of them actually still survive. Yeah, so he's writing love I, letters to his best friends. You know, that was before he met Martha, Martha, I believe. Yeah, I think when he met Martha, he did fall over. He there was he said it was genuine loving um, relationship between the two, and she was apparently like very happy. She was rich, but uh, you know this has come out lately that I, this is going to be kind of odd sadly but she was very like um beautiful that's what they were talking about like a young martha washington you always used to see martha washington she's like that old lady picture <laughs> yeah. you've seen. but apparently when she was she was young she was like only like 26 i think when they met and when they got married same thing with him and she was apparently very beautiful so she had a lot of suitors and she chose washington basically um because he had that presence you know, here comes this like six four six five two twenty muscle bound you know general or well, army personnel and she she fell in love with him basically. Yeah, and you know it's interesting to say they never had any children. Um, no, well she had she had she from did, a previous yeah. marriage, and there was a couple of, um, things about that. They think that her last pregnancy, her last child she gave birth to, um, complicated thing made of uh, made it difficult for her to conceive again. And then Washington had smallpox, which left his face scarred up. And they think mm-hmm. um, that's a very common thing that um, could have caused infertility. Uh, having can be infertile also. Yeah. Um, maybe two, maybe just a combination of the two. They never had, and they realized pretty early on they weren't going to have children of their own, but they raised, he did raise her children like his own. Did you ever, um, see there was a show once of like what they would look like? They recreated them. Yeah. Um, based on, yeah. And you'd, you'd yeah. be surprised like, what a lot, you the faces of or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the Washington face had a lot of smallpox, like a lot of, um, scarring on it and stuff which is which is interesting. Also common for the time, but yeah. And I think I'm almost positive Washington had a, um, Death mask was he was a death mask or was it when you're still alive when they made the mask on him? Yeah, they did that when they did that right yeah towards the end or in Lincoln's case it was after he died but they usually do that beforehand yeah yeah because Jefferson he was alive I mean when Jeff they were doing this he was still alive and they would put this plaster on his face to try to get it you know like a life mask and and something went wrong and he almost suffocated and the guy almost died um, yeah that's how these that's how they used to make those like the presidential busts that you see everywhere yeah. I think that's why how do we know what they look like well this is how we know just for the, yeah. you know. Clarify a few things there. You know, oh, talking yeah. about you know talking about looks too for you know for Washington is the infamous um, you know Washington's teeth. Um, oh, yeah. No, they were not made out of wood. <laughs> um, what's kind of gross in a sense though is you know and, and eerie actually. Um, you know they said that they were made his teeth. Um, he had, his dentures dentures were very painful to him, so he used to never smile because of the fact that it yeah was so he, he used to take opium to uh, make the pain go away. Yeah, you know I mean if you see them, if you ever go to Mount Vernon, they actually have his teeth on display, and they, they look yeah, like I mean you're putting like a robotic thing in your I, mouth. But I think at his inauguration, he had one tooth, one of his own teeth actually left. That was it. It's crazy, but you know they, they discovered a lot of the teeth. Um, you know, some of them were from ivory and cow teeth and lead. Uh, and other I, I know things, what you're but... going to say, yeah, go ahead. Say yeah. I know you're going to go ahead. No, go ahead. Where they come from? Slaves. Yeah, they came from his slaves. Yeah, he would, he would take insane. the teeth from his slaves and then use them in his own mouth. Absolutely, which is which is insane. So yeah. I guess we that could be kind of our door to talk about. That's a segue, you know, right? That's, yeah. A little segue there. Look at there's a podcast word. Okay, <laughs> of our you know, Washington and slavery, which is a pretty complicated. It's a it's a very debated issue, and it's also a pretty complicated issue. So, um, Washington slavery, because I believe from what I it it does change over time. Oh yeah, well, like his view of of it, and I almost reading some of the things that I've read about it. He it's almost like he does have some re- regret that he didn't do more sooner 
when it comes to that. And I feel like a lot of them did, you know, when they wrote their papers and their letters, um, they wrote him, they always wrote two copies because yeah. these founding yeah. fathers basically- They understood, but they, they knew it was an issue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and what's interesting is everything they wrote down, they knew was going to be kept for future generations. So they, none of them wanted to look like, you know, like D-bags in a sense. Um, you know, they wanted to, you know, be perceived as, okay, like this is a big moral question. And a lot of them, you know, Jefferson, obviously, you know, infamously, and so did Washington, yeah. were, were very much like, well, this isn't right. Um, but Washington is the only president from that batch of first five, you know, uh, founding father presidents to actually free his slaves. Um, none of the other five did that. Um, actually, a lot of them sold the slaves because they were like broke by the well, end of the day. They would make money. Yeah, what they did, yeah, because they, they were so hard to get slaves too, for the most yeah. part at that time. So if you wanted them, you had to buy ones that were already around and stuff like that. And Washington was against that. Um, even when he had slaves, again, we're not defending this at all. Okay? Yeah. Any form of slavery is, is, is just, you know, disgusting. And But Washington did start to dislike it more and more. But even when he um, had slaves, and he did see them as property. That was especially early on in his career uh, when he had them. They were they were property. He would keep track of how many he had. They said there was conflicting reports of how well he treated them. They were always treated just a, enough, but they were also like um, – they cost money. So he wanted to make sure that they were alive. He would get them inoculated for smallpox and stuff like that. And like, oh, that's so nice. But really, these are he's investing in his business. That's how he saw it. Absolutely. So he, wasn't, he wasn't really doing it as, um, oh, I want to help these people. But the big thing he was against, and he was against this pretty early on for everything I saw, it was splitting up the families. He didn't think that was a good idea. But again, it was like almost a business. He's like, well, they're not going to work as hard if I split them up for their families. But if they think I'm going to split them up for their families, they might work harder to ensure that doesn't happen. So yeah. it was always like a, a, a thing with him. So it, he was against it. He didn't like to do it. And he, he very rarely did it. Um, but kind of having that threat out there is what he felt was like was – he didn't want them to know he was against that. It was more of like, well, if they think it's going to happen, then they're going to work hard to make sure it doesn't happen. So again, he's looking at the bottom line. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting, you know, just kind of bring it up whenever I talk to my students about slavery. Um, you know, a lot of the – slave owners, uh, you know, that's where their money was in. I mean, slaves were property. And the, it was, you know, if you owned 100 slaves, you were filthy rich because oh, yeah. your money was in the slaves, you know, in a sense, in owning that property. Um, so protecting your slaves was, you know, ensuring your, your property was safeguarded, which is also, you know, why it was so difficult to try to emancipate the slaves later on, because, you know, how do you pay um for you know how would government pay for property if they were to possess that property you know repossess that property which is you know a whole another podcast in itself but um tom you want to talk a little bit about you know his infamous or famous rather freeing of his slaves how that worked well he um he does talk about and i found some stuff interesting on that that he was talking to his secretary one time and told him how much he dislikes slavery and he would get rid of slavery. He wanted, apparently he did want to talk, say something about it during his second presidential term, right before he left, he was going to say something negative about slavery and kind of mm -hmm. start that discussion. But he basically decided it's just going to create more problems than what it's going to be worth. And he actually tells friends, like, listen, this is going to start a civil war. This is going to start a civil war in the country, which obviously does take place. But basically um, he writes into his will, right? That when he dies, his slaves will be free after his wife passes away, right? Yep. Because he still wants her taken care of. And also there's some other stuff that he knew a lot of his slaves 
um, were his, but some of them were part of, also belonged to his wife and they were like married and stuff. And he knew none of them would leave anyway because mm-hmm. they weren't going to leave their children or their families. Then so he was aware of that, but he did say that like, yeah, at the time of his death, at the time of Martha's death, their slaves would um, be freed. And his personal slave, um, Hercules, ran away way before this. He, they never found him. He ran yep. off to Philadelphia and never found him. But yeah. didn't he, did he want to free him? Uh, there was like, conf- like they said he wanted to, but again, this guy was like, he had a chance to be free. And he's like, I'm not going to wait for this guy to die. He says yeah. he's going to free me, but how many times were they probably yeah. told that you're going to be freed one day? Well, I might not. What if I die before he dies? Or what if something else happens? What if the people that take over the estate decide not to free me? If I have a chance to leave now, I'm going to leave now. That's what he did. And Washington is also the president that put in the, the Fugitive Slave Act. He put that into place. Yep. So, I mean, this kind of shows there. He regrets it, but it's still his part of his legacy. It's something that has to be discussed, at least acknowledged. And I think it's also interesting in the sense that, um, you know, Washington said that, you know, he freed his slaves, but they're not free until his wife passes, you know? So it's kind of, it's interesting because now, you know, this is public knowledge. So, you know, you now have his wife living, you know, amongst people that essentially would benefit from her death, yeah. you know, um, because they know that if she was to, to die, they would, they would be free. So Not only free, but they also get money. Like they were going to get money yeah. from the estate to like go and start their lives. Yeah. I think they were still getting money up until the 1830s. They were still getting like payments. Again, unprecedented. And, you know, the only yeah. president to have done that, which. So yeah, they, they were going to benefit, you know, by being free, but also going to benefit financially. Like they were going to have money coming in to themselves and then, you know, that they could use to buy land, buy whatever. And uh, so, yeah, her, her death was very, it was very um, intriguing for them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely a plus. Which is also why, you know, she actually freed them before she died. Um, yeah. I think she, she was getting scared. Yeah. Scared. She was literally getting scared. She was like, yeah, I'm just. She's probably gonna... getting those dirty looks. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to, we're just going to let you. are going to croak, old lady. When are you going to croak? <laughs> yeah. So. Um, she does free them. But um, another thing that's interesting is there's some slaves on that plantation that did not belong to Washington. Um, yeah. They came to the plantation through uh, Martha's prior previous marriage. And therefore, they are only owned by Martha and that estate. So he, does, he doesn't free those, um, those people. He only frees the slaves that he particularly owned, which is an interesting thing. Yeah, that he can um, do. Yeah. Yep, only what he could do. So, um, you know, before we kind of stop talking about Washington, you know, I just read recently that protesters tore down Washington's statue, right? Um, and set fire to his head. And that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, again, that's uh kind of could become a very political topic. And I think one day we probably will address um, you know, just kind of the impetus behind Confederate statues being put up and talk a little bit about a history of what that you know, why they are put up and all that stuff. But um, more or less, I would have to say that Washington hadn't kind of survived history in a very positive light, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody knows him. Like even yeah. my, even, you know, my son knows everything about he, I was looking at some of the stuff earlier. He's like, oh yeah, George Washington, first president on the dollar bill. Like he's disputing all these facts. I'm like, I never told you this. It's just, it's just ingrained in, you know, American culture, George Washington, father of our country, all that sort of stuff. And I think he did a lot of good that definitely deserves him to have some positive light. Like it's very important that we talk about the, you know, 
the the black eyes part of his administration yeah. and things that he did that was not you know morally he wasn't as morally perfect person by by any means. Yeah. But um, I think the legacy that he has, at least some of it, was definitely lack of it earned to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think you know he kind of. Uh, plus, we didn't. I mean, wasn't it Washington that gave us Thanksgiving? Yeah, he was the first one to put that, put that <laughs> right. in place. Not the actual date. I know that changes a couple of times, yeah. but he does. Um, he does give us Thanksgiving. Now we're going to have this um, annual day of a Thanksgiving to give thanks to all that we um, that we have. Yeah, that was yeah. like a big. It was a big. It became a very popular holiday, obviously. And it was almost Wait. a turkey. It was almost a turkey. Not turkey. Yeah, that was our, almost our national bird, turkey. Because yeah, of, that uh, was Franklin. Franklin, Franklin yeah. yeah. Um, I think Washington, again, and he's very much taught in schools, again, with both of our young kids. Um, you know, he is the founding father of the nation, as you kind of started this podcast. You know, he was the first in, in many things. Um, how did it go again? First, first in peace. Um, first in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen. That's what it was. Yeah. I think that's also, I thought that's got to be on his grave, I think, too, by Matt Vernon, at least like on the. Yeah, I think so, actually. I don't really want to think. That was part of his, like, I was part of his. Um, his uh, eulogy. Yep. So um, it's also I, I found no, out. Sorry, Pete. Was no, something no. interesting that they changed his birthday is actually um, wasn't February twenty second. That like, that's what he's assigned as. His actual birthday was February eleventh, but when the colony switched the calendars huh. um, to the Julian calendar away from the King George calendar, um, it moved eleven days. So he just kept that new date. <laughs> so he, <laughs> changed, he actually changed his birthday. Actually, that be, that was like a, a holiday for years, you know. Was still, still, you know, it got more from the President's Day, but Washington. I was going to say, then, you know, now you have uh, mattress sales, you know. Yeah, mattress sales <laughs> and like car car sales, right? All this stuff. We had like those guys on uh, Route 17 dressing up as Washington and Lincoln, right? Come buy a car. But uh, yeah, but that, that was that was like a it was a big deal, like That's that he crazy. changed his birthday again. He's showing if I if I'm changing mine, you know, it's not a big deal if you do yours. Like if Washington's doing it, we can do it too. So again, he's setting that precedent. He's setting an example. They got people yep. that go along with it. Absolutely, you know. And I think before we uh, before we finish this one up, uh, any fun facts that we have? You know, got, got to get a list of some fun facts. I did find one that was pretty interesting. That Washington was actually a big animal person, right? Mm-hmm. So he had a, pretty much every type of dog you could imagine he had at one time or another. But he was also a breeder, not so much of dogs, but of um, he was one of the big supporters of breeding mules, hmm. like the cross between like the donkey and the horse, right? And that was like a big deal. He thought this is a great pack animal. This this animal can like change, can do a lot. If it can change a lot for the farms, and he was the one that really brought that or um, to the colonies, and then later on to like the United States. And so, if you know the reason that like there's so many mules or that they became known as like a pack animal is really because of individuals like Washington. He was known for that. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, and also you know before before his death, um, you know by by 1799, um, it says that Washington's distillery, whiskey distillery, was producing about 11,000 gallons, and therefore making it the largest whiskey distillery in America. So towards the end, you know, of his life, he kind of got into, uh, you know, making whiskey. Well, he knew it was, he knew it was in demand. I mean, he goes and uh, he saw that people really start a revolution over the stuff, right? So he saw that yeah. firsthand. So he's like, yeah, maybe I should get involved in this. Didn't they a couple of years ago found like a recipe or something? They came out with that. Like, I don't remember. Yeah, actually. I remember um, hearing something about dist- that, right? His yeah, you could you could visit his distillery um, in, you know, in Mount Vernon right now. And they actually like, you know, give you his whiskey, which is interesting. That's different. Um, and it's it's used, you know, the same exact, um, what's it I'm looking for? Ingredients as he would have. 
Um, what else? Anything uh, else? Oh, I found one in the uh, bicentennial. They will remember like in 1976, that's the bicentennial for those of you math majors out there. And what was going on is like it was very pro Everything was America, America, America in 1976. So I found something that they actually – the. Um, the military changed his rank. Like he, re- he retired as Lieutenant General and then later like three-star generals and five-star generals like surpassed that technically in rank. And they didn't, they didn't want that. They said they would not be the United States military if not for Washington. So they gave him a new rank and it's a rank that no one can ever reach. And it's a rank that um, can never be surpassed today. It was called General of the Armies of the United States. So, and it's a, a title that only Washington could, could ever hold. So that basically made that on purpose again, to make a legacy with him, right? That no one can ever have a higher ranking than Washington in the military ever. So I'm sure that could be like a jeopardy question at some point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he never chopped down cherry tree. No, that was, um, that was, that, that, they kind of made that up after his death, right? Yeah, Sorry. they did. Um, founding, founding myths is a great book. Um, I forgot the author's name. But essentially, first of all, there was no cherry trees on the plantation when he was growing up. So, so that can't That's even be yeah. remotely a debatable That's topic. Make it hard. Um, yeah. Um, you, you know, the, he was a dog lover, like you said. Um, he didn't have wooden teeth. That's the only other one. Um, I know, he's also, you know, what else? What I know um, John Adams made him commander, made Washington commander in chief when he was president. To like he command did. the army, he didn't, he didn't do anything with it. Nothing actually happened. But um, yeah, so actually, I, that was the only time that the commander in chief was not the the executive power. Like the president didn't have that power. He, yeah. he gave it to Washington. He's like, "You did such a good job with it. Here you go. I'm going to still give it to you." Yeah. And Washington's like, "Oh and man." And interesting, I, I interesting enough. Out. Yeah, he's like, "I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it to Hamilton." <laughs> I'm pretty sure he put Hamilton as second in command. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, the and, and then they had the whole. Yeah, that caused them more problems. Yeah. So I guess that brings us to the end of our uh, first ever podcast. Um, I guess it's, you know, we're just, we're starting out. This is the beginning. Certainly yeah, well, we started with the beginning in a way, right? No, Washington's kind of That's the right. beginning of a lot of things and it's just a lot of precedence. Hopefully this podcast that we did, you know, is only the beginning and it sets a lot of precedence. <laughs> okay. Positive ones, hopefully, yeah. but yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. And then uh, we'll see what else pops in our head for, for our next one. But, um, you know, until next week, I guess, uh, you know, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks right, for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. This is uh, Tom, I guess, signing off. <laughs> right, yeah, and Peter signing off. Till next week, guys. Thanks for listening. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast. And if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.